with me in the Bible readings for tonight in these red Bibles, which you can find at the end of the pews. And the first Bible reading for tonight is found on page 779 of those Bibles. It's Malachi chapter 4, verse 1 to 6, which is on page 779. See, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that comes shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for there will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the teaching of my servant Moses, the statutes and ordinances that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Lo, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of parents to their children and the hearts of children to their parents so that I will not come and strike the land with a curse. The second reading for tonight is found in Luke chapter 1, verse 57 to 80, and that's on page 832 of the Bibles. So Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. Her neighbours and relatives heard that the Lord had shown his great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him Zechariah after his father. But his mother said, no, he is to be called John. They said to her, none of your relatives has this name. Then they began motioning to his father to find out what name he wanted to give him. He asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And all of them were amazed. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue freed, and he began to speak, praising God. Fear came over all their neighbours, and all these things were talked about throughout the entire hill country of Judea. All who heard them pondered them and said, What then will this child become? For indeed, the hand of the Lord was with him. Then his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke this prophecy. Blessed be the Lord, God of Israel, for he has looked favourably on his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a mighty saviour for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Thus he has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors and has remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our ancestor Abraham, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. The child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day he appeared publicly to Israel. Well, there are a few things in life uh, quite like the moment of the birth of your first child. Uh, I can, and I'm sure Dan and Mel can, remember uh, with pretty much absolute clarity 
and I imagine they could, but I think we're glad that they won't, uh, describe it in precise detail. Time seems almost to stop. And now with the wonders of uh, digital photography and social media, uh, you can share the moment with countless thousands of your best friends, uh, blow by blow, image by image, scream by scream. And of course, when you send those first messages after the birth, uh, you have interest in only one thing. Uh, you don't talk about the weather, uh, you have little regard for international politics, uh, even something really important like the cricket just gets shunted to the background. Uh, the only thing that matters, the only thing that matters is your new baby. I wonder what it would take to have your firstborn and for the first thing you say to be about someone else's child. Our reading from the Gospel of Luke was a, a, a song of joy at the birth and subsequent dedication of a firstborn son to an old couple who'd nearly given up hope. Uh, this was a wanted baby, desperately wanted for decades. For Zechariah and Elizabeth, time seemed almost to have passed them by until by a miracle of God, they're given a child. An angel announced it to Zechariah, who was kind of unbelieving, actually incredulous that it could even happen, and uh, to the extent that God decided since Zechariah wasn't going to give him thanks, he wouldn't say anything at all until after the birth. And now nine months later, here they are. Uh, the baby is born, and in classic Jewish style, uh, the child is presented on the eighth day uh, at a dedication ceremony, um, which in some ways has its own precursor to what we've just done tonight. It's a party that must have had all the joy in the world summed up in it. And finally, Zechariah is able to speak. He, he, he writes down what the name of the child is to be, which is the name that the angel gave to him. Uh, very unusual, actually. And his first words after naming the boy are these. Then his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke prophecy, spoke this prophecy. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. He's raised up a mighty saviour for us in the house of his servant David. Now, what's really interesting about this, as the very first words that Zechariah utters after the birth of his miracle child, his miracle son, is that he is not from the house of David at all. David, uh, you may know, is the great king of Israel's history. He's the, the king who led Israel uh, as a nation virtually from its infancy to become a genuine world player, the king who presided over the greatest expansion of Israel's boundaries in history. David's was a seriously famous bloodline. You knew pretty clearly whether or not you were part of David's bloodline and Zechariah and Elizabeth absolutely were not. And so here's the thing, right? When Zechariah sings about the fact that God has looked favorably on his people and raised up a child from the house of his servant David, he is singing about someone else's baby. It's like we all came here tonight for Jasper's baptism and instead we end up talking about 
Someone else. It's nutty. And so the question presses, you see, what is it that might possibly motivate an unspeakably happy father, having just received the gift beyond every other gift, the gift of a child, what would possibly motivate such a father to sing not of his own son but of someone else's? It could only be that that someone else was an even greater joy than this much-loved son of his own. And as as Zechariah sings and invites us into his song, you see, that's why it's here, we learn three really fundamental things about, about Christmas, about this gift of a child, a gift which we will celebrate again in a week's time, a gift that could lift us too to sing of ultimate concerns, even in the midst of outrageous blessing in our own lives. And so you see, I've just divided three simple points, the necessity of Christmas, the purpose of Christmas, and the intimacy of Christmas. Necessity, purpose, intimacy. So firstly then, uh, the necessity of Christmas. Uh, You'll notice that what Zechariah sings about is a mighty saviour. He has raised up a mighty saviour for us in the house of his servant David. Uh, Zechariah knows that as wonderful as the birth of his own son is, it is even more wonderful that this son of his gets to be a signboard, um, a pointing finger. Here's a picture of John the Baptist, always with his big, long, pointing right index finger, because that's what he did. He pointed to Jesus. He's a megaphone shouting about someone else. Now listen to how Zechariah puts it in verse 76. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you'll go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins. What Zechariah sings about, the thing that distracts him from the birth of his achingly wanted firstborn child, is this even more achingly wanted intervention by God to come amongst us himself. The Most High God in our midst, whose way is prepared, God with us, Emmanuel, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, um, notice that what God gives us uh, as as the gift of Christmas and what it is that inspires Zechariah to sing uh, is emphatically a saviour and not just a message. It's very important to see this. Uh, You'll hear and read lots uh, uh, this Christmas about messages. The uh, editorial of the City Morning Herald, no doubt, will be full of uh, opinions about the message of Christmas. Uh, But the truth is that God is not all that interested in giving us a message. Messages are useful, I suppose, if what you need fundamentally is information. To be clearer in your mind about, say, what's important or what's not. If if what you need is information, then what you get is a message. Uh, Or perhaps a message might be useful if what you need is inspiration. Uh, a, A sort of divine motivation seminar to get you going. 
In those circumstances, a message might be the thing. But God knows us far too well to think that our deepest need is information or, for that matter, inspiration. No, our deepest need, your deepest need, I'll tell you my deepest need, absolutely is for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, Zechariah sings of it in in verse 77. Um, It's a rescue. Rescue from the power that threatens to undo our lives and finally overcome us in death. The power of selfishness and greed and laziness and unbelief and racism and lust. More than anything else in all the world. We need a saviour, not a message. A saviour who will rescue us from our sins. Uh, The end of Zechariah's song clarifies the need for such a saviour. Verse 78, by the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to uh, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Uh, There is, I think, a bracing realism here. Zechariah is entirely clear. He's under no illusion or uncertainty that without a saviour, we, all of us, every one of us, is in darkness. The darkness of evil and ignorance, both individually and culturally. And the consequence of that is that we live under, as Zechariah puts it, the shadow of death. The inescapable stalker, the untiring enemy. And Zechariah's realism in his diagnosis of our state stands in such contrast to our culture which simply keeps on hoping that one year, maybe this year, maybe next year, but certainly one year, things will get better. And there's always just a kind of faint whiff of surprise that we haven't made it this year, but maybe it'll be next year. We'll figure it out. We'll stop the silly wars. We'll deal with the silly inequality. We'll just all get it together. But the only way for darkness to get better is for a light to come to it. The point is, don't you see, that it has to come from outside itself. Darkness never has the resources or capacity of its own which could be sufficient to deal with a lack of light. Darkness can never do that for itself. That's the whole point. That's the necessity of Christmas. We crave light in our lives. Light, which is always the basis of life, whether that's physical life on this earth or the spiritual life of the soul. We crave light in our lives, the light which brings truth, the truth of our situation, which you'll know if you've ever tried to walk more than a few steps in pitch black darkness or with your eyes closed. Light which illuminates beauty and lifts your heart and is always a source of joy. We crave the light. 
And the gift of Christmas is a dawn from on high. Not, not from within. It can never come from within. It comes from outside, from on high, breaking upon us, breaking into the darkness with life and truth and beauty. Don't you see, in the face of the darkness of sin and the shadow of death, a message is powerless. But a saviour, a mighty saviour, a light who dawns from on high, from God himself, a saviour is perfect. It's the kind of gift that might even distract you from your own child's birth. Well, that's the necessity of Christmas. Um, the, the second thing that Zechariah teaches us in his song is the purpose of Christmas. Uh, we'll find out in a couple of months when the census results are released uh, from the, the census, as you know, we took earlier in this year. Uh, but I suspect that it's still true uh, that most people in our city, most people in our country, uh, think of themselves as Christians and actually would be a little bit offended if someone were to tell them that, frankly, they were a fraud. Right? I mean, no one likes hearing that about themselves. That would be kind of offensive. Many people would be, uh, I think, get their backs up if that were the case. Um, so most people, 60% it was in the last census or thereabouts, uh, regard themselves as Christians and the overwhelming majority of them have what I would call pretty much the Crocodile Dundee approach to being Christian. So remember Crocodile Dundee? Uh, if, if God leaves me alone and I leave him alone, then we can all get on just fine. No one thinks that they're going to suffer the judgment of hell. There's no fear of hell in our culture anymore. And I, you know, I think it's probably not such a bad thing. Everyone gets that what Christmas does is rescue them from something. That's what Jesus' deal is, right? But Zechariah sings to us the truth, verse 74, that we, he says, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, from death and hell, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. In other words, do you see what Zechariah, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is saying? Uh, Jesus, the Saviour, rescues us not only from our enemies, he rescues us for our God. Or the way Zechariah describes that is, is to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. That's the only way to be part of the Jesus thing. That's the only way to be a Christian. Uh, this, this word here that we have translated serve is a really beautiful word, quite rare actually in some ways. Uh, the word is latruo uh, in the original Greek language. Um, it's where we get our English word uh, liturgy or liturgical from. Uh, latruo means service, but it's not the sort of ordinary service like you might, you know, a, a wait staff at a restaurant might serve you or something like that. It's the quite specific service of uh, the, the priests and, and those who served in the, the temple. It's the, the liturgical service that we have a church service here tonight. It's the same, same sort of word. And what Zechariah is saying is this. When the Saviour comes into your life and rescues us from the hand of your enemies, and we go, yeah, that's great. Very happy to have eternal life. What happens is that he transforms your whole life 
so utterly that your whole life becomes this liturgy. Um, if you see the service sheet that we have, um, that's, that's a liturgy there, right? That's an order of service. It's different elements that are put together. Um, a, a, a reconstructed, redeemed set of elements in your life, all the different bits, all the different pieces, all the different contexts and relationships, all the gifts and capacity that you have, your whole life is to become a liturgy adding up to telling the story of God's grace. That's what it is to be connected to Jesus Christ. That's what we've baptised Jasper into tonight, to have a liturgical life, a life of worship. Notice the contours of uh, this worship. Um, uh, first, it's to be without fear. Uh, this makes sense. If the dawn from on high has broken upon you, uh, then, then what you grasp in your soul is that nothing this world can throw at you anymore can touch you. Not, not anymore. Not scorn, not poverty, not isolation, not even sickness, not even death. It can't touch you. You know the Saviour. You know a perfect, utterly powerful, divine love. And perfect love casts out all fear. Uniquely, if you know this Saviour, then you can live your life totally fearless. And that will make people very curious, actually. How dare you be so bold in the face of crazy service of Jesus? But second, this liturgical life is lived, um, Zechariah says, in holiness and righteousness. There's a really uh, lovely balance here. Uh, holiness is moral cleanness. Righteousness is relational cleanness. Holiness is what we do for God, strengthened and empowered by his spirit. Righteousness is what he has done for us in the atonement of the cross of Christ, that he has put us in the right with him, so that as far as he is concerned, we're okay He's okay with us and, and we're okay with him. And, and the point that Zechariah is making is that these two things, these two aspects go together. There is no gift of righteousness without at the same time the call to holiness. And there is no power for holiness without the prior grace of righteousness. And finally, Zechariah says uh, the, the purpose of Christmas in bringing us into this lifestyle, this life pattern, which forms a liturgy of praise and worship to God, uh, is that it will be something we enact all our days. It, it's not a sprint. It's what one author called a long obedience in the same direction. It will take all your life. It will take the entire course of Jasper's days. All its time, all its wisdom, all its resources, all its energy 
to figure out and to live out such a liturgical life of worship truly and well. Now, sometimes the the path which God sets for us, uh, the path of loving our enemies rather than revenging ourselves upon them, the path of loving God with passion and zeal rather than making occasional reference to him when things seem like they might be going pear-shaped, the path, as Jesus put it just in sort of summary form, of denying yourself and taking up your cross and walking in his footsteps, sometimes that path, that liturgy, will seem total madness, won't it? It will drive you out of comfort. It will drive you into faraway places. But Zechariah says it's not. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, he says, it's nothing other than the way of light and peace. So Zechariah sings to us of the necessity uh, and of the purpose of Christmas, but maybe the most important word in, in the whole of this celebration is also the smallest word, because it speaks of the intimacy of Christmas. Us. Verse 69, he has raised up a mighty saviour for us. This intrusion by God, this divine intervention of a saviour is for us, for you and for me. Uh, Martin Luther, the great 16th century German church leader, once put it this way, and this is just a really, really, uh, I think, stimulating little phrase he says the life of christianity consists of personal pronouns think about that for just a moment the life of christianity consists of personal pronouns see it's one thing to say jesus christ is a savior jesus christ is the son of god It's quite another thing to say, he is my saviour. He's the son of God for me. And here's the point, you see, the devil can say the first. The devil is under no illusion, no doubt, and no uh, lack of clarity about the identity of Jesus Christ. He knows that Jesus is a saviour. The devil can say the first. It's only a Christian who says the second my saviour and as as we kind of draw near to our our brief time looking at Zechariah's uh, prophecy this song um, it puts the question I think pretty sharply to us uh, to each one of us this evening as as we've seen uh, Jasper baptised and and ourselves participated in that and, and, and felt the kind of perhaps sharp edge of that too is is this Jesus who starts his life in a manger and ends it in a cross Uh, only to start eternal life raised from the dead in glory, is this Jesus, one of whom you speak possessively as a saviour, mine, my saviour, personally, intimately? Uh, Do you face your darkness directly? Confronting your sins without pretending. Dealing with the fact 
of the shadow of death, that death one day will bring everything that you have loved and lived for to a halt? Or or have you put your head in the sand and just thought, well, it didn't quite work out in 2016, but I'm sure it will in 2017. I'm sure we'll figure it out. I'm sure we'll get our act together as a human race. Do you confront these things calmly and confidently without fear? Do you you have not just the from bit of Jesus' salvation, but the for bit of Jesus' salvation, constructing a life of worship to God in holiness and righteousness, knowing that in Jesus, you, you yourself, you have a saviour, a saviour who is yours. Or is Jesus just an occasional thought, an example perhaps of admirable values? Maybe even other people's saviours. But not really one who touches your soul. You see, there's a deep call here to do profoundly personal business with God. A man by the name of uh, Kenneth Clark, a lord actually, uh, in, uh, in England, internationally known for his television series a few years ago uh, titled simply Civilization. Uh, lived and died without this possessive personal faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, He wrote in his autobiography that while visiting a church, he had what he believed to be an overwhelming religious experience. My whole being, Clark wrote, was irradiated by a kind of heavenly joy far more intense than anything I'd known before. The light dawned on him, you see. And in a wonderful, I mean, I think unusual, extraordinary way, for ordinary people like you and me, it doesn't work quite like that. But he got this. The light dawned. Although, as he describes it, he calls it the, I mean, it's sort of tragic, really, the gloom of grace. He said the gloom of grace created for him a problem. If he allowed himself to be influenced by it, he knew that he would have to change. He'd have to reconstruct the bits of his life to sing a new song of worship, of liturgy to God. His family might think he'd gone nuts. Maybe the intense joy would prove to be an illusion. And so he concluded, and listen to the kind of pathos of this, he said, I was too deeply embedded in the world to change course. I was too deeply embedded in the world to change course. There was a light given to someone there, you see, in this, in this remarkable manner. He was someone who, like all of us, sat in darkness. In fact, he was so deeply down in it. Remarkably and foolishly and tragically, when the light dawned on him, he chose to keep sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death and he would not be guided into the way of peace he took Christmas altogether too casually alright Zechariah sings this, this remarkable song and I've, I've, I've laboured the point I guess uh, he's so lifted up by the gift of a saviour that he momentarily forgets the birth of his own firstborn child. He rises above even that joy to sing of the birth of another, to sing of the Saviour.
what makes parties great, and Zechariah was at a party, what makes parties great, of course, is having something great to celebrate. And in a week's time, I suppose uh, most of us will be either guests or hosts at some of the you know, hundreds of thousands of Christmas parties that will be dotted across Sydney taking place. And most of them, I imagine, will be times of genuine enjoyment. Uh, we'll gather with family and friends and we'll celebrate another year past, another year lived. Would it be too much to hope, do you think? Might it be too much to imagine that each one of us here tonight might have a little of the spirit, or, or perhaps, to put it more specifically, the spiritual insight of Zechariah this Christmas? That, that whatever good things have happened to you this year, whatever things you have to celebrate, whatever blessings you've received, that the first celebration the thing that lifts your heart would be of a good saviour who has been given, a mighty saviour, a light dawning from on high for we who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, one who rescues us from the hands of our enemies so that we might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness all our days because that is something to sing about. Let's pray. Oh Lord Jesus Christ, we, we know the blessings of this life in so many ways. Uh, you give us such good things. I, I guess we take them for granted far too often. We pray that by your grace and mercy, as, as kind of by requirement we pause and take public holidays and, and actually stop to celebrate Christmas, that you would give us something of this spiritual insight of Zechariah, that whatever it is that we have to celebrate, we would know that there is something even greater. And, and if we have little to celebrate, we know that we have a mighty saviour. That the light has dawned from on high and that you would fill our hearts and construct our lives with all joy and peace in believing. Amen.